Sola Fide was the rallying cry of the Protestant Reformation. After failing to find assurance before God through his works, Martin Luther discovered grace in the book of Romans. And when he discovered that his standing before God was a gift made possible by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and nothing he could ever do to merit it, he cried, Sola Fide, by faith alone. Wikipedia regularly changes its articles, but at one time, an article on Sola Fide stated that faith alone was the doctrine that distinguishes most Protestant denominations from Catholicism, Eastern Christianity, and Restorationism. Now, while Restorationism includes others, it does include those of us who share a heritage in the Restoration Movement. So it would appear that, according to Wikipedia, we have something more in common doctrinally with Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox than we do with most Protestants. That may come as a shock to most of you, but in some respects, it is true. Almost all Protestant and evangelical churches hold to a doctrine of salvation by faith alone. And since they see baptism as a work, they refuse to acknowledge that it has anything to do with salvation. Our insistence, therefore, that baptism is linked with the forgiveness of sin, as clearly indicated in Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16, separates us doctrinally from our faith-only brethren. Now, admittedly, there are many scriptures that seem to support sola fide, but there are also many that don't. One article in Wikipedia lists 30 passages of scripture that are used to support sola fide and 23 that are used to oppose it. And one of the passages that seems to contradict it the most is the passage to which we come to today in our study of the book of James, a book that Martin Luther really did not like calling it the epistle of straw. So the question before us this morning is quite simply, are we justified by faith alone or not? And James does seem to give us a definitive answer when he writes in James 2.24, a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And that, by the way, is the only place in the Bible where we find the phrase faith alone. James says a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, obviously, those who hold to sola fide have a difficult time with this passage. And not only because it seems to contradict their defining doctrine, it also seems to contradict the Apostle Paul upon whose teaching the doctrine is based. 
So we've got our work cut out for us this morning. Let's see if we can't make sense out of what James has to say and see if it really does conflict with the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And James begins by simply asserting that faith without works is dead. We're in the second chapter of James, verses 14 through 17. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. James insists that unless your works back it up, saying you have faith means nothing. It's only words. And while the words you speak may sound religious, if they don't cause you to act, they are dead. Indeed, a faith that is not put into action is dead. There's no life in it. So it can obviously save no one. In fact, a faith that is not put into action can no more save anyone than saying, go in peace, be warmed and filled, can put food in someone's belly. Now this isn't deep theology here. If you're cold and hungry and someone walks by and says, Shalom, or God bless, and does nothing more, what good will it do? You know, the most beautifully crafted expressions of faith will not even warm your heart or fill your soul if someone who has the means and opportunity to do something about your physical needs does nothing. Good thoughts. Good wishes or good feelings are not enough. And expressions of faith are not enough if they remain nothing more than expressions. A faith that is merely a mental or verbal exercise is of no value. It is, in fact, dead. And if it's dead, it's Useless. Let's read on. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless. Now, I almost hate to admit it, but I really don't like the way the New American Standard Version has punctuated verse 18. By making it all one sentence and putting quotation marks around both the statement and the challenge, they make it appear as if some unknown speaker has given both the statement and the response to the statement. I think it makes better sense to divide it into two sentences as the NIV does, and read it as a statement from a supposed objector with James responding. 
If that's the case, James may be supposing that someone might insist that some people have faith and others have works. And after all, we do know that individuals within the body have been given differing gifts. Isn't it possible, therefore, for one member of the body to have faith and another to have works? Is it really necessary for everyone to have both faith and works? To answer that, James simply says, Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, how are you going to show me your faith without actually doing something? You can't. Faith can't be seen. It's invisible. But I can show you my faith by doing something that can be seen. I can demonstrate my faith by doing something motivated by it, by putting it into practice, by working, if you will. Faith and works are not two separate gifts we receive from God or offer to God. They are two halves of the same thing. Together they constitute the only acceptable response to God's offer to save us. So one without the other is useless. Without works, faith is useless. And without faith, works are useless, of no account before God. Now, it is obviously good to declare your faith in God, but just declaring it won't save you. Even the demons declare their faith in God. They know who he is, and they shudder because of it. If our faith in God doesn't bring forth an appropriate, demonstrable response, it is useless. It has accomplished nothing and certainly has no power to save us. The only faith that can save us is faith that has been perfected by works. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James uses Abraham as an example of someone who was justified by works, and Paul uses him as an example of someone who is justified by faith. It would appear that we have a problem here. But do we? Let's look a little closer at what both Paul and James 
actually said. James did say that Abraham was justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. But he also noted that his faith was working with his works, and as a result, his faith was perfected. He didn't set faith and works in opposition to each other. He brought them together. Works that are motivated by faith perfect it. They complete it. Abraham demonstrated his faith in God by doing what God told him to do. If he hadn't taken Isaac up the mountain and raised his knife with every intention of offering his son as a sacrifice, his faith would have been a farce. It would have been a joke. It would have been useless. It would have been dead. He demonstrated his faith by putting into action what he said he believed. To do less would have been to deny his faith. So yes, in a sense, he was justified by his works because his works demonstrated his faith. But James is very careful to also note that what Abraham did, he did because he believed God. It was because he believed God that he did what he did, and what he did caused him to be reckoned as righteous. That's the same thing Paul said about Abraham in Romans when making it clear that he was not justified by works. He was reckoned to him as righteousness because he believed God. So both Abraham and James say the same thing. They say Abraham was considered to be righteous because he believed God. It was his faith in the truthfulness of God that made him righteous in God's eyes. The problem only arises when we fail to realize that James and Paul are not talking about the same thing when they speak of works. When James speaks of works, he's referring to the things done that confirm one's faith. He's simply talking about acts of faith, things that demonstrate the fact that someone has the faith they claim to have. Paul, on the other hand, is referring to something else altogether when he insists that Abraham was not justified by works. And he makes that very clear in chapter 3 of Romans before he uses Abraham as an example of someone who was not justified by works in chapter 4. In Romans 3.29 he writes, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. The works he's talking about are not the things one might do to express their faith in God. He's talking about trying to become acceptable in God's sight by obeying the law, by keeping his commandments. And that, he has already made clear, is impossible. He had already quoted a psalm that declared that there is none righteous, not even one. And he stated matter-of-factly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
No one can keep the entire law of God and thereby be judged as acceptable to God on the basis of the law. And he made clear in Galatians 3 that the law was never intended to impart life to save anyone. It was merely intended to be a tutor that would lead men to Christ, the only one who could make them righteous. Paul then went on in chapter 4 of Romans to point out that Abraham was made acceptable to God before he was circumcised, before the law was even given. So obviously Abraham was not justified by works of the law. Now he's not suggesting that Abraham would have been justified if he had done nothing. Saving faith always leads to action. And as the writer of Hebrews notes, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. If he hadn't offered up Isaac, his faith would have been incomplete. His works perfected his faith, completed it, demonstrated the reality of it. He didn't earn his standing before God because of what he did. Even offering his son could not atone for his sins. Nothing he could do would make him righteous. But his willingness to do what God told him to do demonstrated his faith in God. And because of his faith, God reckoned him to be righteous. He was called a friend of God because he trusted him and did what he said. So Paul and James are saying the same thing about Abraham. Just saying it a bit differently. James then goes on to give one more illustration of someone who is justified by works. And if we know her story, we know he's not suggesting she was justified by her obedience to the law of God, to works of law. We know that to be true because Rahab was a harlot. When Joshua sent spies into Jericho, they stayed at her establishment. Now, I would like to think they stayed there because it was the only place in town where strange men were welcomed. And we'll leave that aspect of the story there. But James doesn't gloss over what she was, but quickly moves on to draw our attention to what she did to be justified. He says she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, he doesn't give us all the details because he assumed we would know the story. And one of the things he doesn't tell us is that she lied to protect them. She told the king's men she didn't know where the strangers had come from when she had heard all about them and the things that their God had done for them. She said she didn't know where they were when she had, in fact, hidden them on the roof. And she sent the soldiers off in the wrong direction, assuring them that they would soon catch up to the spies. She broke 
the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness before your neighbor at least three times. So obviously, she was not justified by her obedience to the law. What saved her was her belief that the Lord, the God of Israel, was God in heaven above and on earth beneath, and her willingness to act upon that faith. So when the spies told her that in order to be saved, she would have to tie a scarlet cord to her window, she did it. She didn't argue with them. She didn't say, if I can't find a scarlet cord, will a yellow ribbon do? She just did what she was told to do. And when the walls came tumbling down and the soldiers attacked, everyone in the house with the scarlet cord was spared because they too believed the promise and went into Rahab's house. James' argument is quite simply that she was saved because she demonstrated her belief in the God of Israel through her works. But it was still her faith that saved her. She is listed among the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 with these words, By faith Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. She wasn't justified by what she did. What she did was an expression of her newfound faith in God. And because she believed the Israelites were God's people, she lived among them for the rest of her life and actually became one of them. Jewish tradition even holds that she married Joshua and became ancestress to many priests and prophets, including Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now, scholars debate that, but we do know that she is listed in our Lord's genealogy in Matthew. Her faith led her to join with the people of God. But if she had failed to tie the scarlet cord to her window, her faith would have been of no avail. She would have been destroyed along with the unbelieving residents of Jericho. Faith without works is dead. Because faith without works is not saving faith. Saving faith always motivates you to do something. Both James and Paul affirm that to be the case. But both also make it clear that doing something to demonstrate our faith must never be viewed as earning our salvation. There is nothing we can do that would merit salvation. And... Contrary to the fears of our faith-only brethren, baptism is not a work that we do to merit salvation. Baptism is simply an act of obedience that demonstrates the reality of our faith. And if asserting that puts us 
in league with our Catholic and Orthodox brethren, so be it. We trust and we obey. Because trust without obedience is dead. Or as James puts it, faith without works is dead. If you've not expressed your faith in what Christ did for you on the cross by joining him in a reenactment of his death, burial, and resurrection, I invite you to come and express your desire to trust him and to obey him. In fact, I implore you to do so because no one is saved by faith alone. Trust and obey. There's no other way. Let's stand and affirm that.